Welcome to the Matthew Moran Podcast. Here you will find a series of in-depth conversations with the world's best nature photographers, filmmakers, conservationists, editors, writers, and publishers. You will get an insight into the lives of creative professionals and industry experts, what goes on in their minds, how they approach their work, and how they make it pay. The podcast also looks at the role that photography and filmmaking plays in helping to raise awareness about the global plight of species. And despite the depressing statistics, we look for solutions at what we can all do to contribute to conservation. All my guests give up their precious time and are incredibly generous of spirit. So this is my chance to share these conversations with you. So sit back, relax and enjoy. Welcome back. It's 2023 and it wasn't my plan to have such a long gap since my interview with Clay at Christmas time. Um, I've just been so burnt out, had very little energy, kind of been in hibernation the first part of the year, but it's spring here now and I've got some energy back and I'm really excited to share this podcast with you. It's all about Peter Mather, Canadian photographer hailing from the Yukon. And I'm not going to go into any great detail about him because you're going to hear it all from him himself. But anyway, I've been a big fan of his for a long time. He's a great guy, brilliant photographer, brilliant storyteller. And I think you'll enjoy this one. Here he is. Peter, thank you so much for taking the time all the way from the Yukon and a seven hour time difference to join me on the podcast. I've been such an admirer and follower of your work for a number of years. So I can't wait to get stuck in to hearing your stories and talking about your process. And um, yeah, thank you so much for, for coming on. It's going to be really good fun. Yeah, thanks, man. I mean, uh, I kind of feel the same way. I, I, I got some questions for you because uh, when I was doing my work on foxes, I was always, uh, you know, uh, doing a lot of research on, on urban fox stuff when I would come across your stuff. And uh, some of the photos that you've taken, uh, you know, or, or really like a good uh, kind of inspiration for me as, as I was working on my project. I really like the, uh, you know, you've got uh, like someone did a mural on the side of a building of a fox and you have a fox that goes by it. And I had like a similar situation in my town and I tried to get the photo. I never got it. <laughs> it was like good inspiration so, for me. That's great. Yeah. I think exactly the same for me. And, you know, we, we could don't want to spend the whole podcast blowing smoke up each other's asses, but it's true. It's really true. Like, and I think it was healthy competition. I you know, seeing the stuff that was you were getting mainly out of Whitehorse, right? The the urban fox stuff um, was was so good. And actually, I had that in my notes. But as you've admired one of my pictures already, I think my favorite of yours is the one of the little cub and the mum trotting away, like off into the city lights, and that moment of the cub just peering up at the mum almost it's just so emotional there's a real like i know you have kids right there's yeah, that yeah. sort of family bond thing yeah. going on there and yeah the sensitivity of that I, I i just love it and we'll definitely put that up in um in your notes well, and we'll, we'll link people to it we'll link people to it for sure it's a funny thing like as a photographer i don't know if you get this i'm sure you do but like sometimes you don't know which are which are your uh, most impactful photos and that was never a list of uh of good of good fox photos for me like i never thought it was one of my great photos 
because, you know, it's pretty easy to take. And, you know, sometimes you spend like days working on a camera trap or months working on a camera trap photo and you get what you want. You're like, okay, that's the one that's the, and then people, you send it off to like a a magazine to publish and people pick out this other one as the best photo. And you're like, well, I just kind of like shot that, you know, out of the back of my car for 10 seconds was nothing, you know, and, and, and you don't realize, uh, you know, which, which are your photos are good and which ones aren't sometimes. Yeah. That's why we need good editors yeah. right, to work with. <laughs> Photographers can often be the worst editors of their own work. But yeah, you're right. And I think that, that I guess that just comes out of what you and I have both done is this long form project approach to photography and to the subjects that you're photographing. And out of that, yeah, you will pour, like you said, hours and hours into camera trap photography. I definitely want to ask you about that in more detail later. But I think just by the very nature of you returning to a location or checking camera traps in the field you know something's got to click in the end you know we spend most of our time I'm sure you do frustrated at missing shots or camera traps failing but just by being there over and over again eventually and and that happened really with that image of the fox with the stencil was just a process of me going back over and over again and I had originally tried with shooting that with remote triggers in the winter and flashes and None of it really worked, but because I was going back over and over again, I just was so comfortable with that core, that street corner. And then when that eventually happened, I shot it in natural light because it was April by that time and it was lighter later in the day. And I kind of knew the composition and I was just praying that that fox was going to turn left when she came around the corner there. So yeah, you're right. Sometimes, you know, the, the images you work the hardest for, um, you know, not always the ones that get the recognition. How many times do you go back? Do you think the one spot? Oh, wow. I don't know. Well, I, I discovered it in December, 2016. Yeah. And then I eventually got that shot in April. So yeah, it was four months, but I was in that area a lot and it's quite a small area. So I would then, you know, do other stuff in the streets or go to the allotment where they lived during, during the kind of dusk hours to try and capture some natural light. So it was really you know, I don't know if I could add up the hours, but I, I spent every time I went there, I visited it and just, you know, waited. Yeah. So, um, yeah, funny in the end, it was just a grab shot because <laughs> I saw her coming down the street and I ran ahead of her and, and then turned around and, and she was there. But yeah, that came because of all the, I'm sure the hours that, that, that I'd put in. What, what, do you, what do you think about like, uh, like, uh, do you ever bait stuff or put smells or something? Have you ever done anything like that? Or do you think uh, that's not appropriate? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I, you know, I did in the beginning, yeah. I did feed these foxes and so many people do. Yeah. And it's a, it's an issue. Um, you know, foxes here, they don't really need it because they're so good yeah. at finding food. Yeah. Um, but I'm not wholly against it because I feel, especially in a city that if people can gain some kind of connection with that animal and potentially help that animal if they're going to treat it with medication, you know, here, I I don't know what it's like in the Yukon, but the foxes suffer a lot from mange, um, which is this disease that a little microscopic mite gets in in their skin and and they lose all their fur and they die, like if it's not treated. So in that sense, it's good, but if it's done responsibly, like, you know, not, not hand feeding, for example, but the funny thing was when I was feeding them, I'd put the food down and walk away and then, you know, try and get shots. And all of my pictures were just yeah. a fox's noses in the grass. Yeah. And so then I stopped doing that because it was just then about putting time in and you wanted to try and capture natural behavior. And 
and also like there was no point in them getting accustomed to me through food yeah. because then I wouldn't get the natural shots yeah, that, yeah. that I was looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about you? I mean, I, 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 I keep thinking about it. I haven't really done it. Uh, you know, like I think when I was really young, uh, I was in the wild one time and there was a fox on a highway and I threw it some, uh, Ritz crackers and that was the only time. And it just didn't, uh, it just didn't feel right to me. I guess, uh, you know, I, I keep thinking about it and considering it cause it would be helpful in some situations, but there's, uh, I get a little stuck sometimes on the authenticity of my photography. Uh, you know, I really want to try to make things that, like uh, authentic. They, they would, uh, I'm capturing something that just naturally occurs. Um, and so, but, uh, I might evolve on that over time, but right now I'm still kind of in that same spot, you know, where I'm, I don't like, uh, remove things from photos, stuff like that, because I think, uh, authenticity means a lot to me as an individual, you know? Yeah, that's great. And I think it's good. Like you say, you know, you'll never do that or it's it, this, the whole process of ethics yeah. is an ever evolving process. Yeah. Like, you know, a lot of people asked about using flash, for example, yeah. you know, does that disturb the animal? And yeah. Yeah, it probably does in just to some respect, but you know, my approach in the city was, well, you know, they're getting blitzed by car headlights <laughs> every night, you know, my relatively weak flash probably, and I'm maybe just saying this because it was convenient for me to use it, but I would imagine, and you know, that it didn't really impact them in, in, in a great way. But you know, if science says don't photograph foxes with flash, then yeah, I won't do it anymore. Yeah. For example. You might, my favorite part of the urban fox stuff, my favorite part was like, I'm, I'm doing all this natural history stuff out in the wild and, and, uh, it's all natural light. And so the urban fox stuff would gave me the opportunity for the first time to like use, you know, what, uh, what do you call it? Like non-natural light or whatever strobes and flashes and, and car vehicles. And, and I was so creative. I just loved it. Like backlighting foxes was just, and, and so I just gave me for two months, I was so inspired because I just like had a new way to shoot and something new to learn. It was my favorite part. That's so cool. This is so funny because, you know, in, in my notes, this is for the listeners out there to, to Peter. I was like, you know, kind of halfway through, we will go to town on foxes and we haven't, it's just, just kicked right off. The whole podcast is going to be a Fox appreciation show. And, 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 and yeah, there's so much. And I, you know, we genuinely haven't spoken before. So this is us straight geeking out on foxes, but that was exactly the same as my experience too. I'd never really used um, any flash before. And so it was a real crash course for me in like how to light things subtly you know, using, you know, flashes powered right down, using multiple flashes, using camera traps and remote triggers. And so as frustrating as it is, it was so good to do that yeah. because that's how you end up elevating your photography and, and, uh, and, and, and educating yourself. And, and I think when you immerse yourself in that way, in the technical side of it, those are the kind of images that are going to stand out because, you know, before I started my Fox work, there are plenty of good urban Fox photographers out there. It's like, how are you going to do it differently? How are you going to capture images that show different behavior and also engage people? Because I'm assuming it's the same for you. That's what you want to do is show that these animals are not just a nuisance or a pest, that actually they're here and they're living, they're adaptable. And, you know, let's show them also a bit of compassion. And if you can do that through photography, then that's progress. Yeah. Like in our place, like there's not too many threats to them except for like a, you know, vehicles, you know, people driving and hitting them, especially when they disperse in the fall, uh, you know, and the, and the young ones are on the streets for the first time. Um, but what was interesting was like, uh, 
like people love the foxes in my community. They, they're really popular. And coyotes uh, go and go to the fox dens and really go at the fox dens. And so people hate coyotes. Like a lot of fox lovers hate coyotes. <laughs> and so it's kind of funny because, you know, coyotes are great too. I don't want to like shit on coyotes. <laughs> but it's like one of the threats that they have is like these uh, these coyotes going to the dens and, and getting them. And, and so it's really funny to, you know, see these people. I'd be photographing the fox dens and there'd be some people very protective of these dens and they like don't want attention because they don't want to bring coyotes to them. And then these same people kind of hate coyotes, you know, it's a funny, funny, <laughs> it's a funny species we are, you know, but we've got a lot of th- we love things based on their cuteness sometimes. Yeah, it's the Disney the Disney approach. Yeah, isn't it? yeah. yeah that photo <laughs> I have that you like, like that's a that's the most Disney photo I've ever seen. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, I know. <laughs> I know it's true. It's that you know the 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 we we like to compartmentalize, don't we? You know, we've got the, the heroes and 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 the villains. But yeah, as as brutal as it is, those coyotes need to feed their young, and it's all yeah. part of the ecosystem and 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 the food chain. So, what was it that first got you interested in 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 shooting foxes and and the beginning of that story? Did you know it was going to be a long term and ongoing project? No, you know, it, it was an accident. I had a I had a friend, a really uh, interesting uh, photographer named Malcolm Boothroyd. He's in my hometown, and he was uh, photographing them for a while. But he's got other jobs, and and uh, you know, he was talking about doing a long term project, and so he was showing me his work. And this was maybe three or four years before I started my project. And so it was kind of his project and, and, and I just kind of left it and he, and he, it never took off with him. You know, like sometimes you start a project and you, you know, it just doesn't, you know, capture you forever. And I don't think it captured him. And then like a couple of years later it was COVID and I was stuck in white horse. It was the greatest time of my life. All I did was like walk my dog, like my dog's name is Luke Skywalker. So I would, <laughs> I would, I would walk Luke like four hours a day and I was so happy. You know, like I was just outside walking my dog. That's all I did. And we were downtown and uh, I was walking Luke and this uh, fox started kind of barking at him. And so uh, he's gotten in trouble before. He's chased a couple foxes and he's he's been hit by vehicles twice. Like he's almost died. Oh, my God. Yeah, because like we, we live in an area that's like half green space and half city. So like, you know, we're walking in a green space. He sees a fox. He chases it. It goes across the highway and he gets hit. Um. And so he saw this fox and he, you know, he got really tense and that fox was barking at him. And so I took him home and I thought, oh, that's odd. The fox was barking. And this is like in our downtown city. And so I, I, was, I was like, there must be a den down there. So I went down and like in the middle of our town, like in the downtown core, there's a fox den with nine pups. And, and then uh, it was COVID. So I wasn't doing anything. So I just like started going down every day. And, and before you know it, like two or three months later, I'd, I'd been working on this project for, you know, like a, 100 days. Amazing. Yeah. And having great success. Yeah. I think you had some images or a image in that beautiful image again of, <laughs> I don't want to reference Disney too much here, but that unbelievable shot of the fox just overlooking the city and the snowfall. And I was curious about that image as well. Where had you, was, was that with a camera trap or were you there in person? Was that fox comfortable with you being uh, there? No, I mean, that was a camera trap. I mean, I, yeah, like I knew that spot and I'd seen like, uh, you know, Fox tracks going up there a couple of times. And so I was really hoping, you know, that I could just kind of set something up and get it. And, and it would go up there all the time. Uh, there was a pair that would go up there. And so I was lucky. I just set up a camera trap 
I was actually working with another photographer at one point, uh, Jeremy Vallee. I don't know if you've ever, no, he does all the like, uh, real white, uh, photographs with just an animal in the middle. So it's all like white and then like a really colorful animal in the middle. Uh, like, I'll uh, have to check it out. Yeah. yeah. It's really nice stuff. Uh, and, uh, you know, you know, I was setting up one thing there and he's like, Hey, we should set up a flash down below to backlight this, uh, Fox. And so I was setting up the flash and I like fell down this cliff um, and not like a real cliff, like it's all snow. So you just kind of like slide down <laughs> and, and, uh, it was up for maybe two months and, and, uh, yeah, that was a, that was a, that was a good one. I, I always think of like doing it a little bit better going back and, and trying it a little bit better with the new camera, new flashes, but I haven't actually done it, but uh, that was one of my happier photos, I think. Yeah. And the fact that it was snowing as well just adds yeah. to the kind of dreamy, yeah. dreamy nature of it. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to put links up to to all of these in, in, in the notes. Uh, really cool. beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Look, I'm, I, you know, I definitely don't want to stop us talking about foxes, but <laughs> I just wanted to go back a little bit further and, you know, I'm sure people will want to know, um, how you got into photography and specifically photographing in your own backyard. I mean, for good reason it's beautiful there's lots of charismatic animals around where you live but yeah can you just tell us a little bit about your backstory and you know what you were you always into photography as a kid growing up or is it something that you picked up a bit later you know you know like uh when i was a kid i, I did some like paintings and drawings and and they were absolute garbage but my mom <laughs> my mom was like those are so beautiful Peter you're you're an artist and like just I still can remember it to this day her saying that and so I think ever since she said that I thought of myself as an artist and uh, I went to university I was, I was studying engineering like a, kind of like a soulless job like civil engineering um, and uh, there was a, a guy from my hometown so I was in a city you know maybe 3,000 kilometers away big city big university like my university had more people than the city I live in Whitehorse and uh a photographer from the Yukon came through. His name was Ken Madsen. And he did these like slideshows to music uh, to talk about protecting some of the wilderness in the Yukon. And I went to one of these slideshows and I was just inspired, you know, like I was like, oh, I'd like to do that. Because I'd grown up in, in the in the wilderness, like camping all the time with my dad. Like he, he took us out all the time, but he was mostly hunting. And so that was his excuse was hunting and fishing to get outdoors. And that excuse didn't kind of like... Uh, uh, inspire me, you know, like I, I wasn't huge on hunting or fishing. Um, but I liked being in the outdoors and I needed a reason. And so the reason ended up being photography. And so this guy's like slideshow inspired me and I started doing trips with him and he, he really was a strong advocate for protecting wilderness spaces. And he's like responsible for getting a bunch of these incredible wildernesses in the Yukon, like protected forever. And so that started it and I started doing stuff with him and I slowly just kind of kept petering away at it and getting more and more into photography. Yeah. I, I've heard a few of those, those kind of stories, um, where, you know, the, 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 you know, the classic tale of the father taking the son out in the wilderness and hunting and you're kind of being like, well, you know, can you shoot them with something else? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. But you also, um, you know, and going, going through your work a lot as I have done in the last, few days um are you, are, are very much a storyteller photographer and that again is that something that's evolved o over the years i mean you, you really put a lot of importance on people particularly first nations in some of your recent work um and you know i, I know it's something now that obviously has changed from the last 15 years that just going out with long lenses and taking beautiful portraits of animals 
kind of doesn't really cut it anymore. Um, you know, it's all, it is all about stories and, and that that's for good reason, but is that something that you kind of adopted, uh, early on? No, like, uh, I'm curious to hear what you say about this. I'll kind of give you my spiel and then I'd love to hear what you think about say working with national geographic photographers and how storytelling changes your photography. But like, I, I, I was like a lot of photographers where I was like, a a sign graph where you're up, up and down, like, you know, some years I'd photograph for six months and then I wouldn't want to pick up my camera for six months. I just wasn't inspired. And I thought all oh, my photos look the same. And I, and I would be like, I was like that for a decade, you know, where I would like be really into photography at some points and then I'd be really out of it. And I, uh, I ended up working with a national geographic photographer, Paul Nicklin. He was doing a story on the Yukon where I'm from and he needed some help. So I kind of worked as his guide and his assistant and and I I just got I just fell in love with that idea of like doing a three year story on something that's really important and telling that story. And so after that, I just jumped into like full time into like you know going really deep on stories and trying to get like twenty incredible images that tell a story instead of just getting twenty incredible images. And it yeah. changed my photography for like like it pushed me so much. And then also like I stopped having those like dips of interest where i'm like really engaged and then i'm like disengaged i don't know like do you find do you have something similar like that uh yeah and i guess for me the i yeah i mean i i definitely have difficulties with motivation if yeah. that's also like similar yeah. and actually the beginning of this year without a doubt from january right up until i would say this last week i've been highly undermotivated and that's come also off the back of doing this book you know for the last two years so not just the photography and and the filming work that we did but also i project managed the whole thing and and you know it was a it was a lot of work and i think i just burnt out basically so that yeah that definitely i ha i have struggled with for sure but i think what's really interesting now as a photographer is like you say having that variety of of, of shot and, and telling stories is that's what is definitely excites me. And I, I was definitely a photographer that grew up, you know, watching and, and, you know, wildlife photographer of the year from the kind of late nineties and seeing all these beautiful long lens pictures and wildernesses, you know, there were never any shots with people in. And yeah. now it's like complete role reversal. If you're using that competition, you know, or national geographic as the bastion of the best nature photography, it's it's very rare that you're going to have a you know pure wildlife yeah. story they they want you know and and i think that's what the audience wants as well they want to see these conservation success stories or you know the struggles and all of that kind of stuff so i think it is it is really important and it, and the funny thing is it's really good that you asked me that because you know i'm starting a new project now in a cemetery oh cool and i love your cemetery yeah. fox shot that's my favorite fox shot of yours Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was another one. That was a, you know, I'm relatively, that was kind of my, my first real crack at camera trapping. And, you know, I think someone once said it's like 99% failure, but you do it for the 1%. <laughs> so yeah, I got access to that cemetery, um, a few years ago and, and, and I'm going to continue to, to work there. And there's part of me that is already like, oh my God, this is going to be so much work. Like I know it's not easy in there. Like where I shot foxes before, it was relatively easy because they were comfortable around me. These foxes are really flighty. It's going to require a lot of night photography, camera trap photography. And, and I think this is probably the difference. 
it's going to be really hard work to get you know top quality pictures there and part of me is just dreading that to be honest <laughs> and so this sounds like the coolest story ever is it about foxes in a cemetery or just all wildlife using the cemetery yeah all wildlife oh, i mean this is so this cool. is yeah this is kind of new and you know this this idea of life in a place of death yeah. i think that's what's really exciting is that you have you know and it's quite a it's a famous cemetery like karl marx is buried there for example and douglas adams and christina rossetti so there's all these famous writers and poets and it's i think it was 1839 it was built so it's really beautiful the backdrop's just incredible wow. so you've got all this death there but you've got all this life and you've got rare spiders living there and, um, and yeah. not just the foxes but tawny owls and kestrels and sparrowhawks and yeah then all the trees and there's a lot going on there so it's the it's the early days um and i'm excited definitely but yeah i i think kind of like what you were saying that i think it's probably good to for the audience members to hear, you know, when you look yeah. at a photographer like you on Instagram and you're like, oh my God, this guy's doing drones. He's doing camera traps and he's engaging with people. And, you know, I love all the ice fishing shots you've been doing recently. Just so beautiful. But actually, I think sometimes, yeah, the reality is it's, it's hard to get motivated and put the time in and and yeah, it's a lot of work, isn't it? Oh man, it's like I'm just in a, a little bit of hell right now. I'll tell you in a sec, but like I gotta say, like I am so jealous of your story. <laughs> I, 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 when, sometimes you come across somebody who's doing a cool story. Oh, that's so cool. That's such a neat story because like it's a cool story and visually it's gonna be incredible, man. That's you're really <laughs> on to something there. I can't wait to see that. <laughs> well, this is great. This, I feel like I'm being interviewed here. And actually, you know, I think sometimes you know, I want to sound, you know, disingenuous. Of course, it's going to be it's going to be great and fantastic. And I'm really lucky to have the access. But your enthusiasm is giving me good energy. So thanks. <laughs> <laughs> will, will, will you share it as you go or will you wait till you're done your story? I think I. Yeah, I will definitely. Otherwise, I've, I mean, I've hardly yeah, shot anything in the yeah, last yeah. year. I have like, I have no content to share. Yeah, yeah. no, I'll definitely, I'll definitely be sharing oh, stuff. Cool. And, oh, that's really cool. Yeah. So yeah, we, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, I think that I, I reached a good level with that, that picture of the fox in the cemetery. And um, yeah, and that was like, that was five months trying to get that that one yeah. picture. So yeah, yeah it's going to be another long one. But hey, you you get that and, and understand it. But I, li I like it. I really like, and what I love as well about this and what I've been doing for the last 10, 15 years is stuff close to home. And it yeah. makes sense. You know, my, my daughter's five tomorrow. I don't really want to be traveling around yeah. the world. And, you know, it's 20 minutes drive away, this cemetery. And, you know, I've got a key. I can go in at night and do stuff in there, which is really cool. So, And, and, and it's got to be an extra bonus because you live in a city and you'd have to worry about camera traps getting stolen. But I imagine in the cemetery, it's a lot safer. Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, I did, yeah, I left that. The, the only downside of, of it is it's open to the public. It's, it's a private cemetery, so you have to pay yeah. to go in to visit. Um, and so I would, I can't leave stuff set up there. There probably are some corners where I could, yeah. where I took that picture. So I would have to go in, set the camera trap up and then come back early the next morning and take it down every single day. <laughs> it was just a real pain, but I got it down. Like in the, when I first did it, it was an hour and a half. And I think I got it down to like 25 minutes <laughs> by the end. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, you're right. And anyway, you, 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 you know, you might get the odd crazy person breaking in and they sometimes have people going in there making, you know, yeah. these crazy films of the undead and everything else. But yeah, it's largely like pretty safe in there. So that's cool. Yeah, I'm lucky. Like with my stuff, even in my city, I can leave stuff basically anywhere. 
and, and people will like I get people walking in front all the time, but I never worry about something getting stolen anywhere. You know, that's what I'm lucky that way because we're like a small community and and uh, yeah, there's not too many people around. <laughs> that's so cool. But you're, you were talking about your Fox project and getting run down. And it yeah, made me think of what I'm working on right now. I'm working on a a film about uh, photographing ice bears and and oh, uh, wow. And it's like it's just taken over my life. I haven't done photography in like a year, and 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 uh, you know, it's like your that book project where you're just like, it's so intense, and there's so much to it. And then you don't want to go photograph because you're on your computer all the time. And I don't know, it's been really, really tough, man. That's great. So tell us a bit about the ice bears, because when I was uh, I watched a couple of videos of you talking about this, and one of the things that really stood out for me. So yeah, I think what would be good is tell us about the ice bears and, and what's special but that that uh way you described when they shake and they've got all this ice over them and it sounds like a chandelier uh, i i love that and i'm saying that with the benefit of watching it maybe the audience might not have but i you know just google peter mather and you'll you'll find the video but yeah tell, go back to the beginning and and that project and also what's so special about these bears yeah you know it started a long time ago just kind of by accident but uh I guess a couple of my projects start by accident, but so there's these bears we get in the Yukon, these grizzly bears, and we get these really late salmon runs. So the salmon come up when it's winter time and a bunch of these bears delay their hibernation so they can feed on these salmon. So they're in and out of these creeks in in winter and uh, eventually their fur gets covered in ice. So they're just basically a walking layer of 100, 200 icicles. And so they're, you know, eating salmon, they're getting out of the river and then they, they have to they get out of the river and they shake all the time to get the water off them. And when they shake, it sounds like a chandelier because there's like a thousand icicles <laughs> bumping against each other. And, and so I've always wanted to kind of like photograph unique things and that's like a unique thing. And, and, uh, but they're kind of disappearing because of lack of salmon, like climate change, like, um, you know, 10 years ago, it was really easy to photograph them. And now it's like almost impossible. I've spent three years trying to photograph them and I haven't seen one in the viewfinder in three years. It's all been oh, just wow. a trap. And, and I've only like the last two years, uh, we, you know, we have these like videos cameras set up to try to see where the bear is or the bears are. And, and the last two years they've, they've just been ice bears for one day and then they hibernated and, and we're, oh, man. and we're working on a film about this, you know, so we, we got me. <laughs> And like the film was an accident. I, I I needed a guy to help me with my camera traps because I have 12 camera traps out there. So I was like, okay, I want to hire someone. And I was like, oh, I'm going to look for some funding. And, and uh, there's so much money in film. You know, before I knew it, I had like $150,000 raised to hire my assistant. But he Amazing. went from being like my camera trap guy to like my film guy because there's so much money in film. And then accidentally, before I know it, I'm like, instead of photographing, uh, focus on photography, I'm like all photo focused on this film and then spending all this time on this film. So there's all this money in it, but kind of like uh, steals your creative soul a little bit or changes your creative soul a little bit in, into a filmmaker. Oh man, it's brutal, isn't it? I think, yeah, when you dip your toe in the, the filmmaking yeah. world, as I, I'm also doing as well, it's, <laughs> it's, it's just so, you know, you think photography is hard and, and, and time consuming and there's so many other people involved, which of course, you know, makes sense. And, and uh yeah and then raising money well that's good that you're finding it easy to raise money i guess on one hand but there's so many other hurdles and especially having a subject that is only showing up like once in (laughs) in two years that's been the toughest part you know that's amazing yeah yeah the toughest part is actually sitting on the computer for three months editing but uh 
Yeah, and that's right. And it and it's yeah, so much more data and storage and all of that kind, all of that kind of headache. I mean, we're complaining, right? It's a it's a great job. <laughs> yeah, and, and, uh, <laughs> but yeah, actually, I mean, on on that, I was you know one of the technical questions that I wanted to ask you. You know, you're talking about having twelve camera traps out there. Yeah, and in the cold weather, you know, how are you managing these with batteries and you know that's got to be like one of the biggest issues is keeping these things live and working right how are you actually doing that if you don't mind giving us a bit of an insight yeah no not at all like uh, uh, um and that's kind of why i hired that guy to help me out his name's peter zankel he's a really good photographer from whitehorse and uh you know he, we 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 had to you know change batteries all the time but like I, I got like I don't know five different systems like for camera trapping. Like I use the Camtraptions ones, and then I use a TRL cam, a guy out of Ohio, and then I use the new Scout Cognosis system, and then I have some other old Trailmaster systems, and then I have <laughs> then I have a couple like over under systems, you know. So like all oh, these different systems, um, and, but basically for anything to last out there, you need to have like those nine volt volt batteries. Those you know. The ones that you get with Trailmaster, but everybody kind of uses them. Scout uses a, a different version of them, and so I just spend the money to get those big batteries that can last a month, even in minus thirty. Wow, that's amazing! Yeah, like I was yeah. doing Wolverines up on the Arctic North Slope, and I had those batteries, and it was great because I could leave stuff for a month, month and a half, you know, like, and it's minus it gets down to minus fifty up there, and I would come back, and 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 that stuff would would be going and working. That's incredible. Yeah, that's it's incredible. nice. Yeah. So with the ice bears and all of these camera traps, I mean, are you video camera trapping now? Yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, like a, it's a huge part of my work right now is because I'm, I'm always doing these kind of stories of like uh, stuff that I, I do all the research for too and find like all the locations. So I kind of spent like seven years learning where to find ice bears. And I spent like three years learning about Wolverines, where to photograph Wolverines. And so, um, you know, like BBC, Planet Earth, those guys, uh, all the like the blue chip, they're always reaching out to me because they want to know where they can kind of do what I did. But with a instead of like a $20,000 budget with like a $400,000 budget and then get the stuff that I wasn't able to get because I just don't want. And so I work with them a lot on that kind of stuff. And then so they, they kind of like will we'll find out what I'm doing. And then like a couple of years later, they'll go film that stuff and make a really cool film. You know, so a couple of those things will be coming out. Awesome. That sounds so exciting. Yeah. You're doing, I guess you're kind of doing the dirty work really for them, aren't you? Yeah. But that like, I think that dirty work for me, like I go out with my dad and he, we do it together. And like, that's a, uh, you know, that's, that's a huge part of the process for me and very enjoyable. You know, yeah, like, yeah. you don't get any good photos for the first couple of years, but it like, you're out there like ex walking up and down these salmon creeks, you know, finding bear prints and meeting a bear and learning his personality and, and, and like, you know, you're learning how to find wolverines in the middle of a, you know, like the, one of the world's most elusive animals. Like it's a, it's a very enjoyable process, you know? Yeah, that's true. That's really true. And it means you're really, really earning your craft, aren't you? Like you say, you know, you might not photograph for two years, but it's so much research that goes into that. And again, I think that's what separates, you know, the kind of work that you're getting from others because you know those images are not everyday images that you're taking on a safari vehicle you know and, yeah. a, and um so my goodness yeah incredible amount of of work going into that and you know we talk about this a lot on the podcast and you know i'm curious i'm sure some people listening will be curious as to like how you make all of this stuff pay i mean 
if it's anything like me, you know, my income streams are very spread out yeah. you know, yeah. from lots of different resources. Yeah. And, you know, how do you, how do you justify spending, you know, three years photographing Wolverines when the actual outlets, you know, for these stories also are so limited these days with magazines and online and, you know, the rates have dropped, you know, drastically over the last 10 years. So have you got a big trust fund somewhere? Peter? <laughs> <laughs> I, I keep hearing stories of people who have that, like, you know, these guys in the field, I don't know if it's true, but I keep hearing about some of these really famous guys who have like just a ton of money. And, and that's why they're able to kind of be out there, like, you know, working the crazy, uh, how I do it is, uh, well, two things. One thing is I really believe in investing in yourself and your work, you know? So like anytime I have any money, I just put it back into, um, less. So like, I think equipment can't be your number one priority, like getting out into the field's got to be your number one priority. And so like, if I have money, like I'll always try to keep like $50,000 set aside so that I can work on a big project. And like, so the Wolverine stuff I spent, you know, $50,000 on. Yeah. Um, and I just like, I'll just invest in it. And, and I have like 10, you know, streams of income, like you 10 or 20, you know, like from little calendars to conservation groups, to government, to tourism, a, a new one is like this kind of BBC planet earth, like looking to do stories and consulting with them and going on the field with them. Um, and, and then I'm doing some filming now, selling footage. There's lots of money if you have video. And so I just have a real mix, you know, and it's very small part of it is publishing in magazines, even though that's what I really like doing. Um, and so it's just a huge mix of all that stuff. And like a lot of my sales, like a huge chunk of my sales uh, are not my interesting photos. Like, like I, I don't make much money from my interesting photos, like my Wolverine work and my ice bear work. But what happens is like people like really find that stuff interesting, and engaging. And then when they need a boring photo of a face of a bear or a fox, you know, a Disney photo of a fox, hmm. then they come to me, you know, and they think of me because I've, you know, uh, you know, people think of me because I have those interesting photos, even though I don't, they don't sell. Like a lot of my best photos have never sold. But then <laughs> people want photos. They're like, oh, I'll go to Peter. He probably has something. And then I sell them the photo of a squirrel for $500 for their website. Yeah. You know? And so, yeah, I would say I, I've got, you know, 10 to 20 streams of, of income. Um and, you know, they're the largest one's probably 20 grand and the average one's probably like four grand, you know, like. A, yeah, that's great. No, it's yeah. really good to hear you speak candidly about that and, you know, very useful, I'm sure, because it's, you know, it's not, it's, it's, it's very easy. Uh, sorry, it's really tough. You're trying to make a living yeah. in this business. And especially when you're trying to do, which I think we all are, and many people I've interviewed on this podcast before is trying to do good with your work. You know, this is, this is the 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 point really and you know when I interviewed Pete Cairns about all of this stuff it's like well what can your photography do you know what can a beautiful picture of a ice bear do or a wolverine do and working collaborating with good scientists and good publishers good magazine editors to really make an impactful story can make a, a difference you know and I, I always say I'm under no illusion that particularly with our Fox book that is going to change all Fox haters into Fox lovers. But if you can change a few hearts and minds of your work, then, then it's worth doing. 
absolutely even if you change one person's mind it's worth worth doing yeah like the guy that that i kind of like ended up doing photography um with that ken madsen who i saw a show at university like you know you know he changed my kind of like direction in life you know i ended up dropping out of engineering going into teaching and then because it gave me time one of the reasons was it gave me time to kind of canoe and and take photos you know so in the holidays yeah yeah so much yeah. like work, I, you know that's this way i got the time off in the summer to go canoe and <laughs> like working all summer as an engineer and you just mentioned offline very briefly before we started that you were a math teacher right yeah like i spent so that's got to help with the technical side because you're a very technical photographer no i'm not a technical photographer it might seem like i am but <laughs> i'm not and i'm a, i'm like a trial and error person like i go out and like i'll set up like a perfect photo but it'll be all technically wrong and the bear will walk by and i'll be the shot will be toast and then i'll go and fix it and wait like three years and that bear won't <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not like uh, methodical and technical like a math teacher should be like when i was teaching math i i, w- I would show up in the morning and be like okay what am i going to teach today like i was not prepared and then i, I would just kind of you know teach whatever because like to, to be honest like teaching math is so unimportant in the world <laughs> like students would ask me like when am i ever going to use this and i would be like you are never ever going to use <laughs> like you're going to use this to get into university and that's it <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious yeah yeah <laughs> um so yeah what with the long form storytelling like projects that you've done over the years with the foxes wolverines bears and you know this ice fishing one, this seems like it's relatively recent. I don't know how old this, this body of work is, but do you have a approach where you have a number of different stories going on at once and you're kind of juggling them or, or, or are you kind of like finish one, start the next one? Is it more linear? What, what's your approach well, with, with that? Well, like, like, uh, I, I, I try to start them and, and see if they really take my passion, you know? And so I, I've got about three or four projects I want to do right now. Um, and like, so the, the, uh, the bear, the ice bear one, you know, that slowly, like I would work on a little bit one year, work on a little bit next year, take a year off. And then finally, I just like spent two or three years working on it really hard. And then the fox one fell in my lap. But I have like three or four ideas that of stuff I want to do. And one of them is like this uh, kind of fishing, these the First Nation people who like fish. And there's, there's like a couple open water spots in the Yukon all winter, like they don't freeze over. And then there's certain fish that go and spawn there at night. And then you have all these animals coming in to feed on that too, because it's so hard to get food in the North and the Arctic, you know, there's not a lot of food around. And so I've been researching it for like, uh, you know, 10 years trying to find, cause there's only a couple of these spots that people know about. And then, you know, the, you know, first nations, they don't want people to know about all these spots. So I gotta be real careful. And, uh, and then my dad loves like going to find these spots with me and my dad go and research. And so we'll see if it takes off as a story, you know, like if I, I end up like, you know, spending two years or three years working on it. I don't really know. I'm going to just kind of keep plugging away at it and plugging away at these other stories until something all of a sudden is like, oh, I want to spend a whole year just photographing this. Yeah. So you kind of keep it sort of ticking over. And I think that what you mentioned at the beginning, that's really interesting is having the passion for it. Cause it just got me thinking, yeah, you can't really force a story. Can you, yeah. you have to be able to love and really want to want to do that. I've got like five stories that I've uh, I've tried to force and and, and they, they, I'm still they're still in my pocket. I'm still thinking about them, but they, I just haven't done them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I just kind of so. pick away at them. You got that too. 
Yeah, 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 yeah totally. I mean, I, I, I the, the foxes was was all consuming, and also because of lockdown, you know, and, and again, and I don't really have the desire like to travel so much anyway. I did so much of it in in my youth, and and that was great, and I feel really lucky that I had the chance to do that. But yeah, again, we you know we were talking about that briefly before about you know photographers' carbon footprints. Yeah, that definitely now. I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm just saying this because I'm lucky and there's lots to shoot around here and there's lots of really cool stories to to tell and to share. But yeah, I mean, why would I go to India to photograph tigers? There are so many good tiger photographers out there that are better placed and that have been doing it longer or same with African species. You know, I went, I went to Africa in 2000 and absolutely loved it. You know, there's no better place for like, you know, large concentrations of, of animals. Yeah, I get really excited about, yeah, I, like when I went up to photograph the foxes 10 minutes from my house, I could walk there. You know, that was, yeah. you know, I sound like I'm virtue signaling. I'm about, you know, oh, I'm a carbon neutral photographer. I'm totally not, totally not. But I think those things definitely come into play. Um, and so, yeah, I, I've kind of done projects con concurrently. This The cemetery one started towards the back end of the foxes, so it's kind of overlapped quite nicely um but no i don't tend to like with the long form stuff i don't tend to have like four or five yeah on the go so yeah i think this this cemetery one's going to be in, in at least another five years i'm sure <laughs> i find too like these long projects i don't think i make my money back for 10 years <laughs> yeah it's true yeah. i mean that's the other thing i mean can you imagine yeah the amount of hours that that you've put in I mean, you'd be on, I mean, there's no point in even trying to work it out. You'd yeah. be on minus, you'd be on minus money. There's no, there's no hourly rate. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, being, you know, no one's paying you the, your hourly rate to go out there and do all this, you know, field craft and preparation and everything else. But yeah, no, that's that. I never really looked at it that way. 10 years. That's takes a while. <laughs> people wanting to get into photography or wildlife photography in order to make money, like maybe forget it. <laughs> Uh, well, like uh, the, I, I find like, I, I, you know, we were talking about like Pete Karen's and, and like uh, your work and my work and a, a lot of the people that we really admire and the, that you interview, we're like, we're doing all this stuff for a purpose. And, and like where, where I may am in the Yukon, you know, it's like probably half the size of Great Britain and there's only 40,000 people. Wow. And so I'm lucky in, 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 in my world because like, I'm able to make a difference like locally, you know? And so like, uh, all my stories are local, but they, they can have an impact because there's so few people here, um, that you can really reach a lot of people, you know, like I can reach half the Yukon with one of my stories. That's amazing. Oh, and have you great. seen that? What, what, what are the kind of, what are the kind of the examples and the success stories that are kind of like, tangible for you? Like, like, it's really simple. Like, uh, we have this watershed in the northern Yukon. It's called the Peel Watershed. It's about the size of Scotland, and it's this incredible wilderness area. But it also has this all this mining potential. And when I first went to watch a slideshow that this guy presented in when I was at university, it was on this watershed protecting this watershed. So that was like thirty years ago. And so uh, you know, we were working on that project, and I, I started working on that project with him for you know twenty years. And at one point. Uh, you know, I got this really nice landscape photo and I was like, you know, I'm going to make this into a poster. So I just like took my own money, made a poster called Protect the Peel, nice landscape photo. 
sold a couple of them, but gave them out to conservation groups and First Nations uh, across the Yukon. And it, it had my name at the bottom, so it was good promotion. And I didn't lose any money. Like I made enough sales to make all that money back, but I didn't make much profit. And uh, and it kind of became this iconic image that told the story of the peel. And so whenever people think of the peel, it's because it's this poster because you'd see this poster everywhere. And and uh, and then the First Nations, uh, they were doing their land claims, and part of their land claims is protecting certain areas, but they have to negotiate with the government. So. Uh, in the end, the First Nation and the government negotiated to protect this area. And it was mostly the work of the First Nation. But there was also like this area is like the size of Scotland and it's mostly protected. You know, like it's this huge wilderness. And, you know, the First Nations were definitely the people who led in this protection. But there was also like a thousand people like me over three decades who worked on it, too. You know, there's like so many people who were pulling on the rope and that image you know, was my contribution that had an effect on the like public. And, you know, when people thought of the Peel watershed, they thought of that one image. And so that was really like uh, something that, uh, you know, meant a lot, was nice to do and you know, feels good that I helped uh, be part of that process as a big team, you know? Yeah. That's such a great story. And that, and I like hearing that kind of thing. Cause I, I think sometimes, I don't know, sometimes, and, and you mentioned this earlier about like working locally and having an impact locally, because I think when we, if you do think globally, it's just depressing, like yeah. biodiversity crisis, you know, climate crisis. And yeah. How are you with your camera, like making a difference today? Well, you know, very little, but those stories, those little stories that give us hope, you know, of changing people's hearts and minds locally is what it's all about. And that, you know, that's the kind of thing that I think, we as photographers can do and again you know we're not heroes we're just going out there and like trying to do our best to take and and especially now because everybody's a photographer everybody has become editors when you're scrolling through yeah. instagram or tiktok or whatever it is people you know those images that jump out those are the ones if you can catch someone's attention um then you've done then you've done your job so yeah i i like that idea of <laughs> you mentioned you know just being a team being part of a team that's trying to protect an area or trying to protect a species um that for me anyway is rewarding and and, and feels you know that's what gives me that, that good feeling about my work anyway yeah like i'm i feel confident that like with all the work you guys are doing on foxes combined with the work that you know ten thousand other people are doing on foxes in like urban areas like it's going to change the public's perception over 10 or 20 years in your lifetime where I think it's going to entirely change the perception of foxes in urban areas in, you know, London, like in the, and that's pretty, you know, that's a cool thing to be a big part of because you guys are the visual part of that, that people think of, you know, like they get educated from other people, but the first thing that comes to mind is the kind of the beauty part of it. Yeah, that's true. And that, yeah, that's a, that's definitely a hard sell. I think if you think about an animal like a fox, has been persecuted certainly here its yeah. whole existence um and you know fox hunting is alive and well although you know there's particularly in this last year there's been a lot of um uh, yeah damning evidence that's come out and that's particularly mainly because of people who are on the front line the hunt saboteurs going out and documenting um but yeah it's 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 a battle and then of course you've got the press demonizing urban wildlife and trying to undo all of those kind of stories it's a it's a it's a it's a long slog but yeah i should i should definitely take a, a leaf out of your optimistic book and think yeah our book will make a difference <laughs> that's for sure 
oh, I can't hear well, you know, <laughs> you know, like I just, and I think as, as human species, we're always growing, we're always getting better. And that's part of it is like li- learning to live with the stuff around us. And I, I, I feel strong about that, 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 uh, that's going to work out. You've got this unique position of being, you're, you're from the Yukon, right? Yeah. So you, so you, you know, you know, the place like, like the back of your hand. And, you know, one of the things I read is you want to inspire, you know, people about the North. And it's funny f- me hearing that because I've, I went to the Yukon in 2003 and it was on a bigger trip up to Alaska and, oh my God, it's just like the wilderness is just so beautiful. And, and I wonder like that mission that you talked about inspiring people locally, I don't want to say, obviously it's not easy getting these types of photos that you're getting of bears and wolves ring, but these are already like really charismatic species. So what's your intention with your images? Like how do you inspire people who may already be inspired about charismatic species like, you know, bears and wolves, wolverines, et cetera? Yeah. You know, like I, I guess for me, when, when I'm working on all these projects, like I'm really working the long game in terms of like influencing, influencing like society and community. You know, and so whenever I'm working on a project, I'm not thinking, okay, we're going to protect all the grizzly bears and we're going to save the salmon right now. And I'm thinking more like, okay, we have to get people caring about grizzly bears and salmon and climate change so that, you know, 40 or 50 years down the road, uh, these bears are going to be around still. And so there's a lot, there's some groups that are like really working on, say, like the grizzly bear hunting to try to stop grizzly bear hunting. And for me, like, that's not the issue. We have a lot of grizzly bears. And if like 1% are killed by hunting, um, that's not a huge effect on the population. What's going to affect the population is if the salmon disappear and, and, and climate change stuff. And so like, I'm trying to kind of tie, like tie those animals into the bigger picture stuff. And so that, you know, like 30 or 40 years from now, the kids that kind of grow up and see all these cool stories, you know, they really value that stuff. And so when they have to make decisions as government leaders and voters in 30 years, they're not simply thinking about uh, the economy, but we're also thinking about all this other stuff because they've been inspired, you know, when they were young, the way I was inspired when I was young. So I'm always just trying to like, kind of you know share really neat things that inspire people you know like ice bears that are kind of cool that grab people's attention or wolverines that people don't see you know and we have i spent about 10 years working on this caribou herd we have in the north called the porcupine caribou herd because when i was a kid i was just blown away by you know the fact that we have this herd of two hundred thousand caribou in the yukon and and how many people know about it and and just, I always had these images of them like streaming across rivers and I don't know, it just always inspired me. So I'm just trying to, uh, what do you call it? Like pass the cup or something or like pass that. Yeah. 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 I love, yeah. I love that idea. I hadn't kind of really thought about that as, you know, with, with, with my own work, like who might pick this up. And of course it, it yeah. completely happened to you, you know, with, with, with seeing that slideshow and, you know, those, those moments in your childhood when you're impressionable, they're like so valuable. And I think, yeah, you're right. That's, and it, it goes back to sometimes that feeling of being impotent with your work and what difference are, are you making? But, you know, there could be someone out there that looks at that is so inspired, like you said, who could be, you know, even if it's a, a, in, in a small governmental role, but might have some power in making decisions about protected areas or it could yeah. be right up to a, you know, to a government leader and, um, and, you know, you you hope that that's 
you know, what you can achieve with your work. So yeah, that's really awesome. Do you have, um, do you have a, like a favorite subject or a favorite body of work that you're most proud of? Or? Well, like, like, I guess it's the big projects I've worked on. So it would be the ice bears, the urban fox, and then the, the caribou herd, the porcupine caribou herd, and kind of yeah. the, the first nation, the Gwich'in people. You know, that's probably the, the, like, that's probably my favorite stuff because when I, when I finished university, uh, I was teaching math, I moved up to this place called Old Crow. And it's like in the, the farthest community north in the Yukon, there's no roads to it. You can only fly in. It's about 350 people and they're like a uh, Gwich'in First Nation people. And they are caribou people. They've depended on the caribou, you know, forever. So I would live there for a year. And then I, I got all these friends and, and I go back all the time. And all the kids I used to teach are like the leaders in the community now. And, uh, uh, you know, like, uh, uh, so I'm very connected with the people there. You know, I just known them forever. They're like family. And then, um, you know, I, I worked with them on on kind of protecting their, the, the calving grounds of the caribou in, in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. So, um, you know, that that's kind of the one that... Uh, not foot photo, photographically maybe isn't this kind of stuff I feel strongest about, but the, the emotionally I feel strongest about, you know, just cause like they've been such a huge part of my life and we're so connected. And every time I go for a beer or dinner in town in Whitehorse, I bump into some people that I know. And it's nice to have those relationships, you know, yeah. you know, like, so it's, that's, that's nice. I, I really like that. That's so nice. And that's like such a massive part of, I think any successful project is, is relationship building and it takes a long time yeah. to, you know, gain people's trust. And again, like with, you know, my access to the cemetery, I didn't just like knock on the door and say, yeah, can I shoot here for five years? It was, you know, these are, these relationships are slow burn and yeah. they are like, yeah. and, 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 and that's what makes, I think a bigger project so much more holistic doesn't it because it's not like you're just going in grabbing stuff and leaving you're you become part of the community do you have a, a like a storyboard done out for your your cemetery like will you like uh have 20 images in mind that you're going to chase for that project yeah um i actually i have i have some stuff i have like a shot list yeah, written yeah, down yeah um nothing more than that but yeah, I've got so many like Im images in my head. You know, yeah. for example, there are there are bats living there. I mean, can you imagine you know bats flying over gravestones? All of that kind of stuff <laughs> would be super cool. But what one of the more exciting and most challenging, and I don't know how I'm going to do this yet, but there's a there's a rare spider that lives in um in the catacombs, like lives yeah. basically in these um graves that are above ground. Yeah in total darkness and that's their natural history they live in total darkness yeah um and you know this this was they were only discovered there like 10 years ago you think how the hell did they get here this is a cave dwelling spider <laughs> so you know we're talking about foxes being adaptable this spider has adapted itself to you know living in these ancient tombs so photographing that you know ethically yeah. <laughs> creatively that's yeah. going to be uh, that's going to be a huge challenge so yeah I'm, I'm i'm excited i'm excited by that and definitely since this conversation and looking at the smile on your face oh, yeah. I, I feel like wow i've got to do such a good job now of this stuff now because yeah you, you're you're envious of the location oh, that's so. so yeah th th there's that and you know making a film in there is is, is something I, i'd really like to do you know I, I really enjoy that that process and you know, I think you can do both as yeah. a stills photographer and, and, and a videographer, but you have to just be 
I mean, you do, you have to wear two different hats, but you have to just be really, really focused on that. So I, I did some filming for the BBC um, at the very end of our uh, uh, Fox book, yeah. um, the, like literally the last shoot. And it, it went really well and it was shown over Christmas. It was shown a year later after we shot. But what was really interesting about that is some of the first shoots that we did, one of the producers, um, you know, we would send them test shots and then they'd take them to the production house and their feedback in the first couple of weeks was like, yeah, we can tell, you know, that you're a stills photographer. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and I liked it. And, it, and you know, <clears throat> my filmmaking skills rose exponentially over that three-month yeah. project. And But it was just really good to learn in that way of like, you know, I was framing up, hit yeah. record. Yeah. And then like animal walks through frame, hit stop, then reframe, hit record. You know, I was like almost like taking pictures yeah. with the video. And they were like, no, no, you've got to be much more fluid, you know, like transition from one to the next, just leave it rolling. And, you know, and so those kind of things like that, I've the skills that I've picked up and the storytelling um, capabilities, of course, of film, so different to, to stills. But what, what I think- What did you, you shoot on? What, was, were you using like a, a red or did you use your own camera? Yeah, I used all, um, I used Panasonic Lumix, which I think you're an ambassador. Yeah, right? yeah, that's awesome. yeah. So I, yeah, I shot with two S1s only. And it was amazing that the the footage that we sent yes. one of the guys at the production house, um, I was using an Atomos screen as well attached to it. Yeah. But the, the picture quality coming out of that camera and especially at low light. So everything we shot was, was yeah. just under the ambient light, the street lights, you know, 10,000 ISO, 12,000 ISO. And the picture quality was so smooth coming out of that camera. I don't even know if Lumix know how good it is <laughs> because the guys at the production houses were saying, wow, this is amazing. I can't believe we hadn't seen this camera more, you know, um, at the BBC. So yeah, I just so cool. shot it can... the whole the whole thing with that. It was, it was so easy because most of it I shot with a gimbal, just underslung down by my ankle, and wow. just walking with with the foxes. It was a really super low tech, you know, setup, and I was really, you know, really man maneuverable. Yeah, that's crazy that you can do that and and show up on a BBC film with yeah with like uh you know like a mirrorless camera. Yeah, yeah, it's just it, it's mind blowing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, they, I don't know what it's like with Disney or National Geographic, but they, they actually output that at, at 1080. Yeah. Um, so it was just 2k and, um, but yeah, no, and it's just incredible what, what you can do. So yeah, I'm going to see what's going to happen, you know, at, at the cemetery with that. And, you know, I kind of understand your pain of all the, the slow process of it all, but yeah. Will you hopefully hire, you'll will you hire someone or do the whole project on your own? No, I'm already working with a director. Yeah. Um he was actually the he lives right on the edge of the cemetery and he has he oh, was actually nice. the one that got me the access. So yeah. and we have a producer on board. We're currently quite a small team. Yeah. Um so yeah, this is the first time I've really talked about it. So yeah, I definitely feel like I'm being interviewed. This is great. Everyone's <laughs> gonna everyone who listens is gonna know a bit more about it. But yeah, I'll well, as I've been I've just started going there a little bit more. I've been doing quite a bit of time lapse photography there at the moment yeah. and yeah I'll, I'll start to share stuff soon as and as and when it comes in so yeah it's going to be really exciting, really yeah, exciting yeah. to see so look we should slowly wrap up here yeah. um but i've you know talking about films we talked a lot about the cemetery in my film can you tell how much can you tell us about your film and you know what kind of timeline can we expect on it do you could you tell us about the story at all or as you know is it still still quiet at the moment 
No, no, like that's all pretty open. Um, uh, it's called Kings of the North. It's, so it's about my kind of journey to photograph the ice bears. And so it kind of follows me and through me, you meet the characters like uh, the ice bears, the wolves, uh, the, the First Nations people. And then we kind of tackle the salmon and climate change. Um, and uh, we try to, we're trying to make it like we're trying to stand out a little bit. So we're trying to make it a little bit funny. <laughs> you know, so we have like a fake David Attenborough voice. Um, and uh, we're, we're, our premiere comes out on like April 26th. And so it's coming out pretty quick. So we're just like working. Oh wow! So you're really this is this is the, you've this is it. This is the, the 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 home run, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's about oh thirty. God. It's about thirty five minutes long. I'll, I'll put out like on Instagram my uh, a trailer for it in the next uh, week or so. We just finished up the tra the trailer. Um, and oh, that's uh, exciting. Yeah, one of the that's cool things is is like uh, you know we had, we were talking about this a little earlier about making change and changing when people. So I worked with a. Like uh, our main sponsor is a mining company, like a mining company that's up here that's really ethical and is really like trying to do things like socially responsible and, and focused on community. So we're really excited to working with them. And, and the other thing is like we're going to go to the biggest city near us, which is Vancouver, and we're going to do the film there to uh, all the mining companies, friends. Like so all these other mining companies are going to come. And it's a really, really excited like that because it gets me a different audience to tell these important stories. You know, like you have a concert in Whitehorse, it's going to be 80% of people who want to protect bears and salmon. And so, you know, you know, if you're presenting in front of 180 mining executives, you know, I'm hoping to affect two or three junior executives who like are going to be like, okay, you know, like we have to think about these in the future as we make decisions. And this kind of stuff is really important to a lot of people and to our planet and so you know when they're owning those companies in 30 years you know i'm hoping that uh, I, you can kind of affect those people now so you know kind of make it full circle about the whole you know the whole thing why we do this and and why we made this movie that's so cool and also not preaching to the converted yeah. you know like you yeah. say finding new audiences um you know and and it's all very well and social media is kind of guilty of that being a bit of an echo chamber for us all and uh yeah that's oh well that's so exciting i had no idea and yeah no this will be good the timing of releasing of this hopefully people can yeah, right you know log in and uh you know hear you talk a bit a little bit about the the, the behind the scenes and well all the, <laughs> you spending a lot of time in front of a computer and <laughs> how hard it is um but yeah so I mean, have you also like sat in on on the on the edit of this and you know how, how kind of big is your team working on this project well, we got a team of three. And so uh, my uh, main filmmaker, Peter Zenkel, he kind of like did the initial edit and then he sent it to me and our music designer. And so we're kind of doing the final edit right now, you know, moving things around. It's our first time, all of our first time making a movie. And so, you know, we're kind of working on that right now and we're kind of uh, trying to make the humor of it. We're trying to decide like how humorous we want to make it, you know, if we're going to lose some of the emotion, you know, so we... We have a, our, our a Yukon British guy who is going to like pretend he's David Attenborough, you know, <laughs> talking to David Attenborough voice, but he'll be like, I'm David Attenborough. Zzz. You know, like instead of being I'm David Attenborough, the Yukon equivalent of David Attenborough. <laughs> and then like in, in the middle of the movie, he's going to be like, are you sure you want to go in this direction as the narrator when he's doing the narration? It seems a little dumb. And I'll be like, just, 
just read the script, you know, like just try to, you know, because there's so many films out there. We're just trying to make it a little bit different. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, that's the one thing. Yeah. TV's booming. Right. And there's money in it. But, oh, yeah. but you still have to make something good to stand out. There's just yeah, there's never been a better time with all the streaming platforms. And I mean, is that the other thing with this film and, and, and the decision to go for that kind of length? Is this something that you hope would be picked up by TV also? No, we just tried to like, uh, you know, this is our first time and, and, you know, like we started out as a really small film and he was mostly going to be my camera trap guy. And then things just grew and grew and grew. Sure. And so we kind of grew as it went and we're just kind of like, we took the best film we can make and however long it ends up being. And yeah. so it just ends up being like 30, 35 minutes. And so, you know, if we do another film, which I'm not sure I'll ever do again, you know, we'll, <laughs> we'll plan it out a little better. But <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great as well. And also you have to just get these things out there, don't, don't you? And yeah, you can't be yeah. Too, too precious about it and yeah, see what the audience response is. And hey, hopefully it will, hopefully it will be big. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to see it. Yeah. Um, Peter, it's been so great talking to you. And actually I was going to ask you this right at the top until we started just going straight into fo foxes, but I read that you're a bit of a football fan, right? Or soccer fan. Oh, I was going to ask you this too. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited so, you're in London. Yeah, that's right. So you, uh, well, you're Canadian, right? And yeah. so obviously Canada and win the world cup for the first time since 1986. And you know, I, I'm 46 this year and I remember vividly that was my first world cup was 1986. So I would have been nine and, um, and I, you know, I remember Maradona, but I also remember Canada being in the World Cup because I had the sticker book and I had all the players. And of course, that's been, it's been that long a gap since you guys were in it. And, and sadly, you played well, but didn't qualify. So how was it for you as a Canadian watching your team in the World Cup? Oh man, it was so like our whole country went crazy. I have a bunch of soccer stories. I got a, football stories. I got to share it with you real quick. So <laughs> when I went to university, okay, we almost qualified for the World Cup. And I, I, I went in Edmonton. It's a very winter city. And we had one game against Mexico. We had to win. So me and my brother went to this game. And the stadium is like a, a American football stadium. It's like 70,000 people it holds. So me and my brother went. The temperature is like minus 15. And there was 3,000 people in the stadium. And this is for <laughs> Canada to qualify in like 1994. Nobody was there. 2,000 of them were Mexicans. <laughs> and in Edmonton. Yeah. And we're cheering. Right. And then, so this year when we actually quali uh, qualified, they, they had the exact same game in the same place against Mexico and there were 70,000 people there. So like, it, <laughs> you, know, you know, it's just grown and it's so cool. Yeah. Our, our star is Alfonso Davies. Yeah. He plays for Bayern Munich, right? Yeah. And he used to, yeah. and I, I'm like, a, like I grew up playing soccer. I'm like the local soccer expert in my opinion uh, <laughs> and just love soccer, you know? And my brother was asking, he's like, oh yeah, that Alfonso Davis is going to Bayern Munich. This is like three years ago. And I was like, oh, that's a really bad decision. He should go to like uh, Borussia Dortmund or somewhere that develops young players. He's not going to get into the team. You know, he's not going to develop. You need games. That's like my my worst take ever. You know, <laughs> Two, you know takes. Like, a year later, he's got a Champions League medal. I'm like giving this kid advice. <laughs> but, but I'm a... Like I'm a huge Arsenal fan. Like, I'm, oh no! Oh yeah! I'm a Tottenham fan. I'm, I'm I'm sitting here now in Tottenham recording this, and I'm a massive <laughs> Tottenham fan. I sh if you told me that at the beginning, I would have just like just shut the interview right down. <laughs> like my my daughter, my daughter and I flew over to uh, like Europe to do a, to, when she was twelve because she's a big soccer fan. Her name's Ava. We went to London. 
uh, Barcelona, Paris, and watched soccer games. I was a big like oh, amazing. Yeah, we we went to went, went and watched Arsenal. I was a big Fabregas fan, and he'd gone to Barcelona, so I went to Barcelona. And, oh wow! And, and I've just been watching. Like I, I, I was ready to give up on Arsenal. I'm like last at the end of last year. I'm like, okay, no more wasting your time watching these games <laughs> on TV because it's a waste of time. You're done. Like that's like a hundred hours every year you're wasting. And then this year I haven't missed a minute. And it's just been, it's just been incredible. Like that. It's been unbelievable. I mean, you know, as, as, as painful as it is for me to watch and, you know, say this, it has, I mean, it's out of nowhere as yeah. well. Like yeah. incredible. Yeah. This season is just, yeah. and just 12 games left. So yeah, we, we will see. Everybody keeps expecting him to choke and they keep delivering. But, you know, it's been such, such a great, uh, pleasure talking to you, meeting you and hearing you talk so passionately about your work. And that really just comes through in the images. So yeah, we'll, you know, people follow Peter. I'll put all the links up in, in the show notes and, um, yeah, we'll keep the conversation going and yeah, really good luck with the, with the film. And I'm so glad that's coming out so soon. I thought you were about to tell me it's going to be like, you know, another seven, eight years in the making, but, um, yeah, really best of luck with that. And, uh, yeah, I can't wait to see it. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. I can't wait to see all your stuff too. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm more excited than you are about your project. It's, it's going to be awesome. Thanks so much. And thanks again for taking the time to talk. Thanks, Matt. Big thanks, Peter. It was so great to finally catch up with him. And yeah, sorry if it was a bit of a gratuitous show of Fox love. Um, but hey, we both love foxes and we've done some really cool long-term projects on the other sides of the world shows how widespread these animals are right and how adaptable they are and um, to all sorts of different terrains pretty incredible but yeah what a great guy great photographer i really look forward to seeing all of his new work and if you don't please follow him on instagram he puts up some great images and also some really fun behind the scenes stuff and great stories about his work you can follow his website and all the other links to find out more about him are in his page on my website in the podcast section to go and check that out. I have a whole new set of workshops this spring and there's a bit of a gap in the summertime and then we have three more in the winter, autumn and winter time. So be sure to check that out on the workshop page on my website and yeah. You can visit the blog page. I've started to update that again after my early hiatus this year. Uh, it's great to be back and I'm going to be out photographing a lot more again. So yeah, I hope to get some new and exciting content and please share this as far and as wide as possible. And I look forward to sharing more of these with you soon. And there definitely won't be as big a gap. So all those pod fans waiting with bated breath for the next podcast. Uh, you won't have to wait too long. Okay, catch you all again soon. Many thanks.